just going to be a fantastic place to live, to work, to play, to maybe get your education. Yeah, I'm really excited about how Olivine is going to be in the future. So of course that was an ad for Mervac and my wife gets to feature in it. It's remarkable the opportunities that we've had and it's wonderful to see my wife really shine. She's been so supportive of me in, in vocational ministry over the last 30, 35 years and at the moment it's her time to shine and I'm supporting her in that. So that's wonderful. But Aaron's asked me to actually address the topic of hospitality and uh, part of your vision as a church moving forward is I hope being able to, I guess, uh, reclaim the art, the lost art, I think, of hospitality. Uh, hospitality is a practice that extends all the way back to Genesis, but it's so much more than just hosting a meal at home or conducting maybe a newcomer's lunch once a month at church. It's been said that hospitality isn't about your house, it's about your heart. It's also been true, uh, or true that people will forget what you said People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how, they how you made them feel. Uh, think back to your year nine maths teacher. Uh, do you remember what they taught you? Most of us don't, uh, but we remember the person that they were. I remember how he used to get so red in the face with us year nine boys, he used to throw chalk and dusters across the room if we weren't paying attention. Uh, but I remember my year seven English teacher as well and geography teacher, Mr. Williams. He cared for us as students. He wanted us to learn. We remember the person more than whatever they ever said to us. So why is hospitality important in the Bible? Well, pastor and author Scott Commode has written, hospitality is the offer to extend the privileges of community. Think about those words for a sec. The privileges of community. It's the opportunity for Wangaratta Baptist to extend the privileges of what it means to be part of this community to those who do not have the standing to expect it, especially those that are vulnerable because they are strangers. Hospitality often involves sharing meals, but hospitality is so much more than eating. In the New Testament, Jesus practiced hospitality and he received it as well. He said, okay, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to eat in your home today. I'm, I'm inviting myself into your space, as it were. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. Accepting their hospitality was not just about sharing a meal. It was a way of identifying with them and making them a part of him and his community, a point the Pharisees both understood and revived, reviled. How can, you, how can you hang around tax collectors? How can you hang around sinners? We should be removed from that. We should be pure. How can we do that? How can we identify with them? So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's so many passages about hospitality. Leviticus 19.34, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns love that word it means visits or stays or vacations with you you shall treat them with you as the native among you and you shall love them as yourself go deep don't just go shallow for you were strangers in the land of egypt i am the lord your god in 2 kings 4 8 one day elisha i often i have only put that reference in because that's the name of my grandson elisha went on 
uh, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. Here's somebody of peace, a person of peace. Here's somebody that's identifying with me, who's giving me what I need for the journey. 1 Timothy 3.2, of course, says, Therefore, as an overseer, they must be above reproach, which in the Greek means without the hint of controversy about their life. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. But it's not just for leaders in the church that are called to be hospitable. 1 Timothy 5.10 says, And having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, um, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the inflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, every one of us should replicate that gift of hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So it's, it's a mandate for us in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. In his book, Occlusion, Exclusion rather, and Embrace, uh, Miroslav Volf writes, Having been embraced by God, each and every one of us being embraced by God, we must make space for others and invite them in, even our enemies. Hospitality is treating outsiders like insiders, just like God treated us. Outsiders like insiders. That's a very important phrase. Treating outsiders like insiders. Now I believe, and this is where I go, I guess, a little aside from just the topic of hospitality, but what's underneath it. I believe there are sort of a couple of types of Christians. And hopefully you all fall into one category, not the other. Uh, one, like the disciples, those that prevail under hardships and persecutions and the like. Uh, others, open to falling away or equally distressing, open to becoming ineffective or stale in their Christianity or embittered along their faith journey because your relationship with Jesus isn't intact, isn't vital, isn't daily giving you what you need so what are the two types of christian one that's driven out of obligation and one that's moved by love very subtle differences one driven by obligation and one moved by love because you're not going to be a very effective christian if your engagement with jesus is just surface deep you're not going to be a very happy christian or a very hospitable christian if you're striving to be good so many of us as Christians, you know, we know about the fruit of the Spirit. Got to be more loving. Got to be more patient. Got to be more kind. And it's almost like we're constipated Christians, you know, just trying to produce this fruit. I mean, if you've ever lived on an orchard, John Wimber years ago said, in the middle of the night as I grew up on Orange County in California, I heard the orange trees in the middle of the night going... producing oranges <laughs> of course he didn't <laughs> the orange trees don't make sound they're not constipated trying to produce the fruit but we've got lots of constipated christians gotta be more kind fruit, the fruit of the spirit should just happen because jesus is at work in our lives you're not going to be a very content christian if you're working for god like a slave not a son or a daughter and we have the story of the good samaritan uh, not the good samaritan we have the story of of the lost son 
to show us that, that the older son still felt like a slave. You've never killed a fattened calf for me. Because he, he wasn't recognizing. Hey, you could have had that anytime you want. You're not going to be a very good witness for God, a very hospitable host, if you feel as though he's hauling you over the coals and demanding compliance to his will. Obligation is a very unpleasant burden to carry. What is it about obligation? Well, it's a moral or legal requirement. It's a duty. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were under. We've got to obey the law. And, and we do. Yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full. Sir. It's a legally enforceable agreement to perform some sort of, um, I guess, account, especially related to money or the benefit of another party. And what if, what if we lived all our Christianity like that? We've got to do this. It's under our obligation a person or a thing to which one is bound morally or legally, something owed in return for a service or a favour. Obligation. And there are many genuine believers that are driven by that sense of obligation. And the last thing I'd like you to hear today as I share on hospitality, saying let's rediscover the art of hospitality, is, oh, we should open up our homes. <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to become more hospitable the church doesn't open up we're going to die we're going to get old we're going to get cross no i want you motivated by god's love the language of obligation includes words like should do or must do or i have to i really should be a better christian i I've, i must evangelize my friends um i've i've got to serve the church because nobody else is nobody else has signed up on that roster suppose it better be me you see, keeping close to Jesus is vital to our purpose in life. Keeping your relationship with God living and open and dynamic and energetic and vibrant will ensure that the work of the Christian doesn't become works. We don't do good works to experience the love of God. It's the love of God that generates good works from us. So the language of love contrasts with the language of obligation. Should do becomes could do. Must becomes can do. Have to becomes want to. You get it? And again, you know, sometimes we fall into this rut of obligation. But should do becomes, hey, I could open up my home to others at a deeper level. It's all very well for us to be welcoming on a Sunday. But let me tell you, I think the church overall has lost that art of hospitality, opening up our homes. That's where real interaction happens. It's not about the Sunday. Sunday's great for inspiration, for some teaching, correction, rebuke, all that jazz, engagement with others. But real fellowship, real knowing somebody comes as our homes are that place of engagement. Must becomes can do. Oh, I guess I can do that. Uh, have to becomes want to. I want to make myself a little more vulnerable. Open up myself and my home because it's not about the house remember it's about the heart so we can discover whether we operate out of obligation in most areas of our faith however i just want to give you two examples we know when we're operating under obligation in res in reference to evangelism and hospitality and forgiveness think about those two things for a sec evangelism and hospitality and forgiveness if we think oh i should do that we're operating out of obligation. I should be more hospitable. I should witness or evangelize my friends rather than I can do. 
I can tell them the good news. I've, I mean, this is the best example for me. I wasn't, when my grandson was born, I wasn't going to my four other brothers. Um, oh, I suppose I should ring Bruce and Ian and Scott and Ross. I, I have to tell them the news. I wanted to tell them the news. Hey, guys, this little baby, it's a boy, it's Elisha, it's so good. That, that is how we operate when Jesus is vital in our life, not, oh, I better ring them. <laughs> They'll be angry with me if they hear it on Facebook before they hear it from me. Hospitality um, is an opportunity to demonstrate love. And the other area was forgiveness. I've got to forgive somebody. No, I have the opportunity to forgive someone because I'm free from the sin that weighed my life down. So look at those two areas of your life. If there's somebody in your world today that you're struggling to forgive, go back to Jesus. Go back to Je Forgiveness is not an easy process. It involves the past, it involves the present, it involves the future because forgiveness has got to be complete. So you've got to release somebody from the past, but often we just get stuck there. You've got to then serve them in the present and you've got to trust God for the future, not them. They're not reliable. And forgiveness is that whole process. But if, if you're thinking, I've got to forgive them, oh, this is such tough work, go back to Jesus. So going back to hospitality, hospitality in the early church became the basis for evangelism. That's where it happened. It didn't happen at the temples necessarily or the big events. One of the primary reasons that the gospel spread right throughout the Roman Empire was that Christians practiced a different kind of hospitality. Ancient Romans typically practiced hospitality for the important people, for the mayors. <laughs> okay, let's sidle up against them. There's nothing wrong with that. But often the Romans just cared about the influential people, the important people. Uh, that is only people who could give them something in return. But the Christians became noted for extending hospitality to all even the least of these. This was a significant part of how the early church developed a reputation of love. The early church loved outsiders as though they belonged. Hey, you're part of us now. We identify with you and you can identify with us. And so I go back to this notion of love. I want to go deeper into that. Corinthians 13, we know this passage so well. We, know, we, we, we declare it at just about every wedding that you've probably been at. And this passage fits into three sections. The necessity of love in verses 1 to 3. It's foundational to what we're doing. The character of love. How's it expressed? Well, it's, it's kind. It's gentle. It keeps no record of runs, wrongs. You know, th what, what does it look like? And then the permanence of love. The strength of love to be able to sustain us and go on. And if I paraphrased chapter 13 verses 1 to 3, um, and that's where I like other versions of the Bible. It gives us different takes on things. It, it just shines a light in a different way. I love the, the message version. It's maybe not technically totally correct, but it, it speaks in today's language and it gives us a different take on things. And so if I was to paraphrase this, I might say, look, if I'm a, a super spiritual giant and I've got spiritual gifts coming out my eyeballs, but I don't have love, I'm an idiot. If I attend a life group and I can expound the greatest Bible studies and I can pray the most faith-filled prayers so that the sick are healed and the blind can see, but I don't have love, I'm a nobody. 
If I give away all I have to the poor, but I don't have love, I've gained nothing. So important is love to hospitality. And being loving, it's got to be foundational to everything else I profess I am and everything else I do as a Christian. You call yourself a Christian, you've got to have love first and second and third and go on into infinity. You speak in tongues, you have the gift of healing, you get up for the 6 a.m. prayer meetings, you'd attend church every day if you could, you tithe and you pray and you fast and there's absolutely nothing wrong with these things. In fact, they're all commended and encouraged and worthwhile pursuits. However, if you don't have love, Paul would say, what an absolutely catastrophic, fundamental waste of time. Church, pack up, go home. If you don't have love. Love is profoundly practical. So I don't care how spiritual we think we are. If you don't know how to love, you're a clanging symbol a loud, obnoxious, repetitive sound and the inevitable result of us using our spiritual gifts without love is that we offend people. That's what the Bible says. It's not what Brett says. It's what the Bible says. In his book, Let Me Tell You a Story, Tony Campolo recalls the story of Peter Arnett. Some of you who are older might remember he was a CNN television commentator years ago and a reporter. And he tells the time when he was in Israel, in a small town on the West Bank, when a bomb exploded. Bloodied people were everywhere. There was disaster. There was chaos. And a man came running up to Peter, holding this little girl in his arms. I don't know what to say, Peter said. I can't imagine what you're going through. I've never lost a child. And it was then the man said, oh, mister, this, this girl's not my daughter. I'm an Israeli settler and she's a Palestinian. But there comes time when each of us must realize every child, regardless of the child's background, is a daughter or a son. There comes a time when we've got to realize we're all family. We're all just humans. And that story talks about love that goes over the political or the social or the, I guess, heritage that that man had. See, during COVID-19, I reckon that we as the church learned a few really important lessons that I hope none of us forget. Now, I don't know about Wayne Garatta, you got shut down as well. Melbourne, of course, was the most locked down city in the world. And we've come out of that with a bit of a lag. It's taken a bit of time for a lot of our churches to re-engage, re-gather, uh, for people to come back to any sense of normal. But I think there were some important lessons. We rediscovered what was most important for some of us during COVID. Families rediscovered the dinner table. <laughs> put your iPads down, put your phones down. Church has rediscovered maybe the power of local engagement. Certainly Michelle and I have done that as we moved into Olivine. Each of us rediscovered the, that the pace of life we were living post-pre-COVID was killing us. Uh, we were all about, you know, sort of the, the urgent stuff rather than getting on about the important stuff. Church was too busy. Uh, our sermons were too long. We've discovered a lot in church. But maybe there's a time when we can rediscover our neighbours afresh in that way. One of the opportunities we've had as we become placemakers in this new community is to engage with Shohan and Shani. Uh, they're a, a couple from Sri Lanka. Shohan moved out of Sri Lanka when he was 17 to come study here in Melbourne. And I'll go on to that in just a sec, Josh. That's fine, leave it there though, man. Um, 
and he left a home that had a, a sort of Catholic background, but his parents became born again because there was some uh, health challenges with kids and stuff like that, and they became so fanatical, it just, it, 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 he was, they were legalistic, they were too religious, and he just went to Australia. And he, he basically just put any Christian heritage on hold um, and just lived life here in Australia. Met Shani, beautiful Buddhist um, woman, uh, got married, and they're now in their uh, very early 30s, 31, 32, working in finance here in Australia. And they're our physical neighbours uh, as we moved into this new estate. Uh, they've actually helped as secretary and treasurer of the new Donnybrook Football and Netball Club because there was a need, and they said, yep, we, we've got some skills there. We know nothing about Aussie rules, but we'll help out. And they got to know Michelle, of course, because Michelle was that person after the sales um, of their house and getting built. Uh, was the connecting person. But then they discovered, oh, Michelle, what does your husband Brett do? Uh, and of course, as Aaron would know, you know, when you say you're a pastor at birthdays or functions or whatever, that can either make a conversation or it can break a conversation. More obviously, more often than not, it breaks a conversation. They all look at you awkwardly with like a, a deer in headlights going, okay, that's nice. I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> and off they go. Uh, but sometimes it makes a conversation. Shani... At a, as a Buddhist woman, was fascinated. Oh, he's, he's a pastor. What is a pastor? What do they do? Um, a church leader? You know, what, what's that? And at this stage, I'm coaching church planters, and so she was fascinated and invited us into her home. Um, and we've, we've had dinner chat nights ever since, but the first one lasted about three and a half hours. Beautiful bottle of red wine, some good pizza. You know, it was a great night. And we discovered, as Michelle and I took the posture of listening to their story, not trying to answer some of Shani's questions, but just listening, we discovered all these parallels in our life. Um, twins were in three of our four families as backgrounds. Um, Shohan had a, a sibling with cerebral palsy. My twin brother has cerebral palsy. Um, we, we discovered parents that... Um, just had similar stories to them as well and 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 as we took that posture of listening we just engaged so naturally with this couple that apparently the next day he rings his parents in Sri Lanka because Shohan interestingly enough when he came to Australia he's never wanted anything to do with Christianity uh, but he did go to Planet Shakers once or twice. He went to Hillsong one Christmas. He'd, he'd just check it out, and he was fascinated by the big show and the lights and all that jazz uh, and the, the music. But for Shani, she's never been. He just went quietly prior to their engagement and then never taken her. But then Shohan rang his parents and said, well, Mum, I know you've been praying for me for years uh, to go back to church. Well, the church moved in next door to me, <laughs> basically saying what Michelle and I are doing as placemakers there. So how do we engage with people in hospitality? Because that's what we're doing. We're opening our home to our neighbour Sam and, and others uh, just in the estate, and we're having dinner chat nights, talking about spiritual things. We're not doing Bible studies where we've got that posture of listening and learning, well, first of all, attend to felt needs. When you open up your home, just attend to a felt need. Now, that might be stating the obvious, but, the, you know, do you know how desperate people are for friends? Do you know how desperate people are just for somebody to listen to them? It's extraordinary. Um, we've just gone through the COVID-19 pandemic, but let me tell you, there's a pandemic 
of loneliness right on your doorstep that you could engage with and just be a friend. Secondly, talk about spirituality, not religion. Religion, even Christianity is on the nose. The church is on the nose. Um, Since uh, the Royal Commission into child sexual abuse and the like and these different things, the church is marginalised more than ever in our world. We've got to come to reality. We've got to come to, um, I guess, some understanding of that today. But talk about spirituality because I think there's actually an increase in a willingness to talk about spiritual things. It's, it's gone up a ramp since COVID. Focus on Jesus, not the church. The church is the one entrusted with the message of good news, but the church is not in favour. So don't, don't get into discussions with church. Just focus on Jesus. And I'm meeting with a new guy, a young guy rather, um, who's actually a barista in the cafe that we're connecting with in this new estate. Uh, and he's, he's a guy that's on a journey toward Christianity. He loves talking about spiritual things. He's a philosopher. Um, he, he's not so sure about the church, but as I've been meeting with him fortnightly, just opening up the Bible and just going through that discovery Bible study method, um, he's, he's told me a few weeks ago, he started engaging with a big church called New Hope in Blackburn in Melbourne. And he's connecting with new friends. He didn't tell his mum for four months that he was going there. He hasn't even told his non-Christian friends yet because he's going, a year ago I was the atheist of atheists and now I'm exploring Christianity because he's happy to talk about spiritual things with me. And he he would actually now say, no, I get Jesus. I I reckon he was the real deal. Really? Harry, you you say Jesus is the real deal? Two weeks ago he said, yep, yep. I'd call myself follower of Jesus now. Wonderful in that way but focus on jesus carry hope eternal in your readiness to share this is i think the only thing we have a monopoly in in the church what i what do i mean by that i don't think we have a monopoly on community you've got football clubs and netball clubs and rsls and all sorts of other clubs that do community when my dad was connected with the bennettswood bowls club uh, there was a pastoral carer at that club for when my dad got cancer Uh, but they offered him no hope eternal when the cancer returned and he was dying. All they could do is just give him a slap on the back and say, all the best, Keith. But they didn't offer hope eternal. The church offers hope eternal. My mother-in-law and father-in-law attended Box Hill RSL religiously every Friday night because that was their community. They felt loved and accepted there. So much so she had her wake there at Box Hill RSL. Um, when my wife had her 40th birthday some years ago now we normally go out for family meals for birthdays we said to Bertie and Marg Friday night happened to fall on the Friday night and Margaret said sorry love um, we might miss the raffle (laughs) we'll have to go out for dinner on Thursday night or Saturday night so religious was their activity at the Box Hill RSL but we offer hope eternal Box Hill RSL didn't offer hope eternal to Margaret the church offers hope eternal my son was involved in Glendale Saints Football Club. Uh, great club to be part of. You know, they were more embracing than a lot of churches. I got there and the president knew me by name because he'd been corresponding with my wife before my, my son got engaged there. He said, oh, but you must be Brett. Come over here. Let me introduce you to somebody. He embraced me more than, welcomed me into that club more than a lot of churches welcome newcomers. So we don't have a monopoly on love, on community, on faith. There's so many faiths that are more devout than a lot of Christians. We don't have a monopoly on sage advice or good teaching, any of that. But we have a monopoly on hope eternal. Do you know, I was listening to the radio on the way here, and the other Daniel, uh, Daniel um, 
what's his name? Dad Andrews, <laughs> our premier, our illustrious premier. He, he actually talked about hope and how important hope was. Really interesting. We have hope eternal. Uh, fifthly, fourthly, connect with common values, not beliefs. The church has argued about our beliefs for far too long. Don't worry about the beliefs. We, we know what we believe. Uh, the world doesn't believe what we believe. Why do we argue about beliefs? Because we need them to know the truth. Let Jesus be the truth teller. Don't worry about it. Relax. Let, let the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin. We don't need to do that. That's not our job. But the church has often thought that's our job. Let's convict the world of sin. Let's, let's tell them the truth. Connect with values. With the Essendon drama that was going on in city life, they got in trouble because of beliefs, not values. They actually shared a lot of the values. They got into trouble because of what we believe. Just suspend the belief discussion. Let the Holy Spirit be the teacher. Suspend that church and connect with values. And then finally, exercise kindness and acceptance over judgment. This is a big thing for us in the church. We love to judge. Well, actually, Jesus said, do not, ju do not judge. Full stop, exclamation mold, bold, italic, whatever. Do not judge for the same measure you will be judged. So we've got, to, we've got to get judgment out of the frame. And again, we've not, we've not been good at that as church. We've judged the world. Let the judge, the judge, judge the world. Our role's to love. Our role's to love. Our role is to love. And finally, just a good resource. Maybe some of your, your small groups might like to consider is a little booklet called Surprise the World. It's by Michael Frost. It goes on the Bell's Principle, which is basically what I'm encouraging you to consider today. Bless people, eat with people, listen to people, learn from people, and be that sent out one that embraces others. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that Jesus came as an insider to your relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He came to open himself, incarnation. Open himself to outsiders, we the church, we the world. For God so loved, for God so loved that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish should not be left out into the darkness, left out onto the edges, but might receive life. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we might be models of that life. We might be carriers of that life. Our life in Jesus might be so contagious that we just flow over with that love to those that we engage with in our neighbourhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. Father, help us learn to love again, to love afresh and just to keep on loving. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.